I'm your host, Alexander Hefner, and you're listening to the audio podcast of The Open Mind. I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. The disproportionate political influence of the rural electorate in the United States is real. It's a minoritarian rule, plain and simple. Americans concentrated in the reliably red states and a handful of swing state bellwethers. They're universally dictating policy today. And their purported will is carried out most directly by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky. Today, my guests will explore the politics of the South and specifically the importance of newspapers and literacy to ensuring that voters are educated, informed, and active citizens. Editor of the Rural Blog, a digest of events, trends, issues, ideas, and journalism from and about rural America. Al Cross is director of the Institute for Rural Journalism and Community Issues at the University of Kentucky. He served for more than 26 years as a reporter at the Courier-Journal, the last 15 as the Louisville newspaper's chief political writer. A pleasure to meet you, sir. Thank you for being here, Al. Happy to do it here in the shadow of the Empire State Building. And <laughs> exactly. talk about rural America. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's talk about that. Do you view the decline of newspapers as being correlated with a dumbing down, let's just be blunt, of America, of rural communities, of urban communities? Do you see that correlation? Uh, I do think it's a factor. Uh, uh, you know, newspapers have always been uh, the major finders of fact uh, in our democracy. Uh, the major arbiters uh, of fact. You know, they separate wheat from chaff. And today, uh, because of the uh, proliferation of media, uh, people gravitate to uh, sources of information, not always news media, that uh, confirm what they believe. They're out, for in they're out for confirmation, not information. And that creates a polarized society, and uh, social media make that even worse because it uh, creates these information bubbles where People have uh, friends that uh, they follow, and uh, likewise, and you know, they all, uh, or most of them, uh, subscribe to the same set of beliefs. What has been the trend at weekly and daily rural newspapers compared to national papers that have seen a resurgence of interest and in subscribers since Trump's election? Well, you can count on the fingers of one hand the newspapers that have seen a resurgence uh, since Trump's election. Uh, those would be the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and probably USA Today. I mean, those are only real national newspapers. Um, the papers in between those and the small ones are the ones that are in the worst trouble because they have always tried to be everything to everybody. And they face competition from television stations, from networks, from social media, from uh, some competing outlets. Down at the bottom of the totem pole, uh, where you have the largest number of news outlets, uh, the community newspapers, uh, they are the healthiest part of the traditional news business because they generally don't have any competition for their local news franchise, not from television or radio. Uh, they have an audience that is uh, slightly older, more traditional, more inclined to stick with print. So they've been fairly healthy. They have been losing circulation and household penetration, but by low single digits, uh, not the double digits that uh, the major papers have. However, they now face what I consider to be the most existential threat they've ever had, 
and that is the tariffs imposed on Canadian newsprint, uh, which uh, is uh, hitting them in the neck. You know, they've, uh, they've lived by print, and now they have to have uh, fewer pages or smaller staffs, or uh, in some cases, with really small papers, they'll probably go out of business if these tariffs stick. Wow. And that is affecting how many local papers in Kentucky and how many local papers nationally? Well, there are about uh, 6,200 weekly newspapers, uh, paid circulation weeklies uh, around the country, and about 1,200 dailies. And uh, most of those dailies are really community newspapers because they have circulations of uh, less than uh, 25,000 or so. Um, I talk about rural journalism a lot, and the, the uh, defining line is uh, metropolitan or non-metropolitan. A few years ago, the Census Bureau came up with a handy term called micropolitan to describe counties that had cities of 10,000 to 50,000. Most of those places still count uh, in rural America and uh, are, uh, I count as being served by community newspapers. Newspapers that are locally oriented and really don't put a uh, primary focus on uh, news outside the community. And that's the case of these papers, that they are primarily focused on neighborhood? Not neighborhood so much as counties or uh, small groups of counties. Uh, the largest uh, rural newspaper in the United States is the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal in Tupelo, Mississippi. It has a circulation of about uh, 30,000 daily and about 60,000 Sunday. And uh, it's owned by a foundation. Uh, and the uh, foundation was created by the guy who started the paper and uh, it serves the 17 county area that he decided uh, the newspaper was going to serve. And that's a rarity. Most uh, rural newspapers will serve one county or maybe two or three. When we hosted Secretary of State Allison Grimes of your native Kentucky, I asked her this question. I'm going to ask you the same question now. Or what is dictating the pulse of Kentucky voters right now? Uh, they have a senior senator who looms large on the national stage and who really dictated the course of our last election, both by his refusal to acknowledge Russian interference in the election and his obstruction of Merrick Garland and now his nomination, his support of what will appear to be a second Trump Supreme Court nominee. How does Mitch McConnell play in rural America? <laughs> well, you know, he's the most unpopular politician on the national stage if you look at polls. Uh, when you're the leader, you have a target painted on your back. And uh, uh, people on the uh, far right don't like him because uh, they think he's too moderate. Uh, the Democrats don't like him because uh, uh, he beats them all the time. Um, people in Kentucky uh, don't like him all that much either, but he has succeeded in uh, the case of uh, beating Allison Grimes in 2014, uh, making his opponent Barack Obama rather than her. And uh, she, unfortunately, wouldn't even say who she voted for in the 2012 presidential election. So uh, he was able to uh, turn what looked like a competitive race into uh, a fairly easy re-election. How are the Trump administration's policies informing or maybe misinforming rural voters as to the issues that he's championing? Are they helping the livelihood of rural voters? Are there documented instances of rural voters who have abandoned this administration because they recognize now that representing their interests was a farce?
There's anecdotal evidence that uh, some uh, rural voters are souring on Trump, uh, uh, partly because of uh, tariffs, uh, which uh, hurt uh, agriculture. What you have to remember about rural voters is uh, only a small number of them are involved in agriculture. Uh, only about 1% uh, of the American population uh, gets its primary income from agriculture. And while agriculture is still a big player in the economies of rural places, and it's important to them, uh, rural and small town America are uh, much like the rest of America in living off uh, manufacturing, retail trade, uh, government, and so on. Um, I think Trump succeeded in rural America primarily because he ran a campaign against the elites. And there is a documented feeling in much of rural America that uh, urban America is leaving it behind and looking down on it. Well, that's what Kathy Kramer documents in The exactly. Politics of Resentment. The perception of rural Wisconsin voters that there's damage being done in Wisconsin and it's not serving their interests. Madison is in control by people who don't represent their interests. And part of that is a tribalistic, racial, and cultural allegiance I wouldn't say that's so much true in Wisconsin. Uh, I think that uh, increasingly in uh, lots of uh, this country we have uh, urban areas that are becoming much more diverse culturally and uh, uh, the uh, good new jobs are going primarily uh, to urban areas and lots of small towns you see uh, uh, closed storefronts and uh, you may see some big box stores but uh, they're not the kind that advertise in the local newspapers. Um, I think uh, there's a sense out there that uh, uh, folks are being left behind. Now, there is uh, documented evidence uh, through some research uh, on the polling that the areas where this is most profoundly felt are areas where there has been an influx of uh, people of color. Uh, so there is a racial and ethnic element to this, but I think in many cases that's overplayed. I, I think that the fundamental thing is economic. I think that uh, racial and ethnic feelings are sort of like a trickle charge coming from a battery that uh, helps, uh, you know, uh, keep that feeling going. Well, that's right. I think they are interconnected. What Kathy found was that rural Wisconsin voters were saying that the government in Madison was designed to do affirmative action to help people who don't look like me. And that's how they're intersecting because... That is basically saying the government doesn't care about my economic well-being, but it cares about someone else's. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't define uh, uh, what she found uh, primarily by race and ethnicity. I think that, that was one element that she found, but I think it was much broader than that. And race has never been but a big speak issue to in that, Wisconsin. Speak to that collectively, though. Speak to that in terms of rural communities that you study across this country. Well, um, uh, rural communities tend to be less diverse. Uh, they tend to be older, they tend to be uh, 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 of lower income and uh, lower education. That's all on the margins. It's not a, a really significant difference, but it's enough to uh, make a difference. And uh, there is no doubt that people in rural America feel like that uh, urban America has a leg up on them. I wonder if they still feel that way since Trump was elected, or do they really feel like their constituency is dictating the policy? What I see is people waiting to see. You know, there are uh, some uh, real reservations uh, about Trump, uh, I think best found by uh, Dan Boss in the series of stories he did for the Washington Post and those 
Mississippi River, upper Midwest counties that uh, went for Obama twice, but then for Trump. Uh, that really is uh, the, uh, the pivot point in American politics today. Uh, you can go through 15 or 20 of those counties and uh, get a pretty good read of what the rest of the country is going to do, I think. And what are the pivot points in terms of policy on the ground and conditions on the ground, whether that be poverty, whether that be broadband, and the fact that a Louisiana senator, conservative senator, recognized in voting against the abolition of net neutrality that that might actually hurt his voters. Mm -hmm. uh, what about those core issues? You said 1% of the U.S. is intensely agriculture-based, but if you look at those rural communities, it's more than 1%, right? It's probably oh, yeah, a significant sure. part of the pie, majority yeah. of the yeah, pie. Uh, well, no, there's only about 500 counties in the country that, out of uh, 3,200 that are primarily dependent on agriculture. So uh, what are the other salient issues to rural communities I think, right now? I think broadband is a very important issue uh, for the economic development of rural America. And in Kentucky, we're developing uh, a first-in-the-nation kind of statewide network that uh, hopefully will uh, uh, be a great uh, economic development tool. Some people say it's the greatest economic development tool ever implemented in our state. Um, but I think that uh, the uh, importance of broadband is not something that uh, many rural voters have thought that much about. They may uh, feel an inconvenience when they can't uh, download video as quickly as they would like, um, but I don't think uh, that the advocates of broadband have done a very good job in explaining to the general public its economic benefits. And if you were to characterize one issue as principally on the minds of rural voters right now? Uh, I think that uh, health care has always been a big issue in rural America. It shows up in national polls as uh, being, uh, uh, by plurality, the most important issue. Uh, and we're talking about health care costs and accessibility. Those have always been issues in rural America, and I have no reason to believe that they are not still the primary issue. But I think uh, the second major issue close behind would be uh, the lack of good paying jobs. Uh, people have seen uh, manufacturing plants uh, close and uh, move overseas. Uh, they see uh, new jobs being created in metropolitan areas and not in uh, the small towns, uh, the micropolitan communities that uh, used to have a lot of these factories. Uh, I think uh, uh, fundamentally it's a pocketbook issue. And I'm sitting here thinking of that as a pocketbook issue and recognizing that the central Trump-McConnell economic plan did nothing to address those underlying circumstances of low wages in rural America. It gave them a uh, uh, tax cut. Uh, you know, there are uh, uh, people walking around with more money in their pockets because of the tax cut. And for a lot of people, it wasn't all that much, but at least it was something. But it doesn't attack the wage issue. No, uh, but, uh, you know, the more complex these issues yeah. get, the harder they are to sell. And I think that, uh, uh, you know, some politicians argue uh, from here. Right. Some of them argue from here. And some of them argue from here. They argue <laughs> from the gut. Right. Donald J. Trump argues from the gut and a little bit from the heart. And right now, in uh, the guts and hearts of people in rural America... I think most of the people who voted for him 
uh, and this is borne out by national polls, still think he has their interest at heart. And uh, they don't uh, uh, understand all the uh, uh, ins and outs of these issues. They don't want to understand them. Uh, they want to have somebody who they think is acting in their interests. And so far, he hasn't done much to uh, persuade them that he's not. If they don't want to understand those complexities or context, and I'm not willing to make that concession so blatantly or bluntly as you are. <laughs> well, they, I, I'm, what is I'm speaking with too broad a brush. I mean, I, I think uh, uh, that's true of both uh, urban Americans as well as rural Americans. Fair enough, but that gets to that second question, which you didn't hit on yet, and that is what is the bridge from the gut to the heart to the mind? What is the bridge that is not going to be pol policies that alienate us, that further that chasm, but that build a policy that will improve the lives of both urban and rural and, of course, suburban voters as well. Well, uh, I can uh, uh, enunciate uh, two or three uh, broad policies like good access to health care and education and broadband, broadband being the purely rural issue. But the means of getting there is the point on which Republicans and Democrats disagree. But and I'm not prepared to offer any specific sure. uh, policy prescriptions. For but that. I wanted to have you here because the means of getting there I think is literacy. Uh, I'm a political reporter by trade. I know a lot about uh, the newspaper industry and uh, some about the communications industry and uh, political messaging. Um, and I haven't uh, put my mind to the thought of uh, how you come up with a policy that could unify uh, people on the uh, right and left. Uh, but I, I would hope that what you are concerned about, which is the preservation of these community papers, is integral to that literacy across those spaces. Well, you have to remember, though, that uh, most of these community newspapers, because they're so locally focused, don't deal a great a deal in the uh, national issues of our day. Now, through the rural blog, we try to give them material that they can use to uh, help them understand that there's a, uh, issues in common to rural areas that uh, people need to understand and that there are things happening on the national stage that influence their lives. And uh, I'm proud any time a local newspaper uh, picks one of our stories up. And I'm especially proud when they use it as inspiration to do their own reporting on how a national issue is affecting them. We do not have enough of that in uh, local newspapers today, especially the small community newspapers. Uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Jock Lauderer at uh, North Carolina, likes to say that they are relentlessly local. And all I want them to do is occasionally take a look at a big issue like immigration, broadband, health care, uh, that affects their people and uh, look to us uh, to uh, help them do that. I want to ask you in the minutes we have left about the local and extrapolate on the national. On the national, how do Supreme Court decisions, especially this most recent session, how do they impact rural communities? Well, um, I think one overlooked aspect of Justice Kennedy's retirement is uh, the environment. Uh, it was a five to four decision that uh, said uh, uh, that uh, uh, the EPA should uh, regulate carbon dioxide. And that's the basis for Obama's clean power plan uh, to uh, close down the dirty uh, coal-fired power plants. 
there's a chance that uh, that could get re-argued. Uh, you don't know how much uh, this uh, new court with Kennedy's replacement will uh, uh, rely on uh, uh, stare decisis, decided law. Stare decisis, and also, if you think about this most recent term, you do think about how we're further um, combating each other as communities, as urban and, and rural. I think about gerrymandering um, in terms of not having the opportunity to engage with folks from other communities because your district is so self-selected, segregated. Um, it always, I always wonder, Al, about the intimacy or the visceral feeling of these court cases on rural voters because they're most often the allies of the Christian right, the strict constructionists, the originalists who want to ban reproductive rights. I do think uh, abortion is a more important issue in uh, rural America uh, than the rest of America. Of course, in urban America, abortion rights uh, are an important issue to a lot of people, as uh, has been shown by some of the recent primaries. Um, I just don't uh, detect a, a big difference uh, about uh, uh, that particular issue other than the fact that uh, rural America is a more religious place than the rest of America. And these feelings about abortion uh, tend to be religiously driven. And in looking at the upcoming midterm elections, there are a number of states in which Democrats are attempting to hold on to those rural constituencies. How do you uh, explain the diversity of the rural voice between, we talked about Wisconsin, but Montana, um, Missouri, Missouri. Uh, how, how do you distinguish between the way rural America is evolving today? Well, I think uh, uh, Democrats uh, who are smart uh, know that they have to talk about uh, pocketbook issues uh, in uh, rural America, uh, and uh, they have to uh, be able to negotiate uh, the social issues. Um, in this midterm election, uh, Trump, because he floods the zone daily with uh, news and tweets, uh, is probably going to be a more important factor uh, than most presidents are in midterm elections. And then you have the Supreme Court uh, on top of it. Uh, the cards are still being dealt on that, and it's uh, hard to analyze at this point. We could have a much uh, higher turnout than you usually find in these midterms. Originally, the hope of Democrats was that their people would turn out more as a reaction to Trump, much like uh, uh, conservatives turned out more in 2010 in a reaction to Obama. But I think uh, uh, Trump uh, clearly believes that uh, he can uh, activate his base uh, to come out. And he's a phenomenon like we've seen, uh, uh, like we've not seen before in American politics. And uh, I'll just go back to what I said uh, the night he was elected. Now, almost anything can happen. Those Trump supporters, the loyalists who you find in the crowds at these rallies, are they, do they typify a, a rural voter, or is that a no. political partisan distinction? No, I don't think so. I think uh, in, in all communities there are people who uh, think that uh, they're getting the short end of the stick, uh, that uh, politicians are naturally corrupt, that's why Donald Trump talks about the swamp, uh, that they're not to be trusted, and that uh, someone was needed to uh, go to Washington and uh, break up the party.
So anything can happen, but what will happen, Al, in your estimation? I mean, you've, you... It's a crapshoot. Who knows? You have a lot of insight into this from reporting on McConnell. Is there a bridge too far for McConnell where it's not about political victory anymore? It's about the preservation of our democratic norms? Doesn't seem like it. Uh, if the president were to fire Bob Mueller, um, I think uh, that would be uh, the Rubicon uh, for McConnell and the Republicans. I would like to think that Mitch McConnell has told Donald Trump privately, you fire Mueller and I can't keep you from getting impeached and I might not be able to keep you from getting convicted. But uh, we don't know what that relationship is like. That is the most important relationship in American politics today is Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell. And neither of them uh, talk very much about it. Um, what do we know about it? Well, I think that uh, Trump has been publicly critical of McConnell uh, over the uh, uh, Obamacare uh, repeal failure and uh, uh, the uh, lack of votes to uh, uh, kill the filibuster. Uh, but uh, I think McConnell uh, has been uh, uh, fairly skillful in uh, dealing with Trump and uh, keeping his uh, members together. That's the primary job of a leader is to hold your caucus together, especially with such a narrow majority as he has. And he tries to keep focus on the issues on which Republicans say they're winning, uh, like the tax cut and the judges. And on the issues that are most dear to your heart in the seconds we have left, tell our viewers how they can access projects that emanate from rural journalism, and really, when it comes to investigating the quality of our streams, our air, our grass, agriculture, we have to look, we have to invest in those reporters on the ground, in those local affiliates, uh, because otherwise we won't, we won't know. I think it's important for Americans in every community to communicate with their news media and tell them what they want out of them. Uh, I wish more rural Americans would call up their uh, local publisher or editor and say, why aren't you reporting about the impacts of these uh, the tariffs or other kinds of national policies on uh, our local communities? Uh, these things are important, and uh, we stand ready to help them do that. Thank you, Al. appreciate you joining me today. Thank you. And thanks to you in the audience. I hope you join us again next time for a thoughtful excursion into the world of ideas. Until then, keep an open mind. Please visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash openmind to view this program online or to access over 1,500 other interviews. And do check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Open Mind TV for updates on future programming. Continuing production of The Open Mind has been made possible by grants from Ann Olnick, Joan Gans Cooney, the Angelson Family Foundation, Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, Joanne and Kenneth Wellner Foundation, and to the corporate community, Mutual of America.